Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the morality of everyday things.、Uh, this is part two of the question: Are luxury goods immoral? Yes. A quick intro. Like Jake said, this is part two, so really recommend listening to part one. It probably、mm-hmm. won't make much sense without it. Morality of everyday things is a podcast about everyday philosophy. Won't do the same intro because you must listen to part one. Thank you to those who leave reviews. We had a recent one that was very funny that actually considered our point balanced despite being carnists. This was on the me eating episode. <laughs> I, actually, that's honestly what I strive for. If someone can, someone who. Fundamentally disagrees with us. Can listen and still hear value in the discussion. That to me is everything. That's yeah. Then we're then we're winning. We're achieving what we set out to yeah. do. And also thank you to those who contribute on our Patreon. You can do it for as little as a dollar a month, and it really does help cover our production costs and also keep the podcast going and improve them over time. Wonderful. All right. So, oh, sh- shout out to George Kerr. Same one again.、Oh, yeah. uh, we're、you. recording the same day, so you get them both. <laughs> you get a double up. So, in part one, a quick recap. We basically spent the whole episode discussing what is a luxury good. Yeah, what's and, necessity? Where does the line draw? Exactly, and, and often with philosophy, it's it's really important to be very clear on your definitions, which is why we gave it quite so much time. And your implied definitions, because yeah, a necessary part. Ironic use of the word necessary.、Hmm. Uh, ironic part of defining the word luxury is to define the, the counterpoint.、Mm-hmm. What's needed? Yeah, what is、Because、a necessity? A large part of describing something as luxury is describing that which not which is not needed. Exactly. So we looked at, for example, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the pyramid. Where in that pyramid something sort of tips from being necessary into luxury? You、mm. could argue the fact that they're all needs.、Uh, at no point does something become a luxury necessarily. God, it's confusing using the word necessary and necessarily and necessity、mm-hmm. and all these things. But we looked at the example of cars. At what、mm-hmm. point a car tips from being a sort of necessity into a luxury like a Ferrari? Yeah, the fact that it's not clear is obviously what makes it a really interesting question. We gave some basic definitions, and one of the ones we'll definitely come back to is. And looked at two classes of luxury good. Yes, that's not a formal one. That's one that we kind of intuitively wanted to describe two sets of them, and they, they seem to be morally distinct.、Mm-hmm. One is things that are expensive and clearly not necessary, but are arguably good value.、Mm-hmm. So that would be, for example, let's take that car analogy that we we're、mm-hmm. talking about, right? You know, maybe getting the car that you know strictly it's more it, it's more than you quote unquote need, but has a good AC system. Has a nice sound system. Is electric,、right? for example. Is a, is a,、um, electric? Maybe it starts to veer. You bring in a、thing. whole climate change thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bring in a whole like more a whole other moral imperative. But you know, has these kind of extras that like you could actually kind of argue are kind of functional、mm-hmm. and like maybe meet levels of need. They're a little higher, like self esteem, etc. Not just the sort that like you could argue like, well, yeah, but like you might derive value in that. But like, should you derive value in that? That's like, why I think electric is interesting though. Yeah. Apart from the climate change argument, it does drive at that point of like one. Well, it is for that point, right? It's it's the sort of self expression of I'm. The kind of person who cares about this. Got you. Okay, 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 like, okay. To, but the, but in this, in this case, it's expensive right now. Yeah. yeah, but it does also happen to coincide with actually doing good. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but I mean, okay, let's then let's you know. On the one hand, we have those sorts of luxuries, right?、Mm-hmm. If you draw a scale, they seem to be like halfway along,、mm. right? And they're in more of the gray area. Granted, I said AC and sound system. I mean, you know. Those sound pretty ridiculous, but you know what I mean. Like, hey, what about an automatic car rather than a manual car?、Mm. Right? Like, it's just less effort to drive. It's easier, but they're significantly more expensive. Maybe that's an example of it. And then you get to the other point where it's、uh, you were starting to veer into what we would call conspicuous consumption. That's having a sports car. There is no functional need to have this thing, and maybe it's fulfilling some sort of you know, it's providing value to you. Mm-hmm. It's、um, fun to drive. It's fun to、thing. drive, it, and and it it's a status symbol, but it starts to veer into the into the realm of status symbol where you know maybe a more considered person might start to think like okay, well, but like maybe the things that this communicates about you aren't so good. And I think the fact、uh, something we kept coming back to was you know humans exist in a social context. Obviously, 
consumption exists in a social context. I think what certainly uh, the issue we were kind of driving at there is if you're if you're purchasing these kind of goods and you're there to communicate your wealth in a world of like immense inequality, in a world of poverty. This is where we're going to come to it. Yeah. Right? It's, it almost becomes distasteful. So when we approach this problem and we think about the these unnecessary but sometimes nice goods that are mm-hmm. meeting, perhaps meeting needs or not, that are higher up that kind of chain of needs, Maslow's mm-hmm. hierarchy that we mentioned last time. There's two key arguments that we could start to kind of consider here, right? And you kind of touched on one of them, opportunity cost, we'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's there's the a whole, big one. There's a big yeah. one. There's a smaller one let's touch on really quickly. Immorality in production. Yeah, we'll give this one relatively short shrift because it doesn't uniquely apply to luxuries. It can just as easily apply to necessities. Mm-hmm. What we're saying here is if there are moral issues in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you mentioned earlier, like, I actually don't know if Gucci are guilty of this, but like, let's say luxury fashion goods that are produced in sweatshops. Yeah. Gucci very might well be. I don't know. I'm not making allegations. No idea. I don't make allegations. Yeah. But let's say you've produced a luxury handbag and you've produced it in a sweatshop and that comes along with all the sort of moral baggage of like treatment mm-hmm. of workers, etc. Yes. And then suddenly when it's not a necessity, yeah, it really changes the moral cost there in a kind of exponential way. It right? does because you could make the very same argument against what I remember Primark did have a case years ago mm-hmm. where they were saying, okay, a lot of their goods, a lot of their clothing is produced in sweatshops, but Primark produces really cheap clothes that are affordable and people need clothes to wear. To be fair, it's an interesting thing. If you want to be consequentialist about it, the scale is interesting because obviously very few people consume really high-end luxury fashion whereas tons of people are buying fast fashion and well i think yeah i think i think the that's an interesting point and there's different moral costs Mm. there both externalities i guess the, the fundamental the thing that's so painful about the luxury good one is like one the entire process doesn't need to exist because it's not a necessary good Mm -hmm. but then two even more poignantly and this kind of comes to what we were saying about high margin earlier right Mm -hmm. when you're selling something that is that expensive with Mm. that higher margin there's no need for the problems. Yeah. As in, well, it depends on the product. We'll, we'll come back to, for example, blood diamonds. Yep. But, you know, there's no need to use a sweatshop when the when the good is that expensive. Again, this comes to that difficult argument we discussed in part two where it's like, well, you know, just because something's making a high margin doesn't mean it's not necessary for that business. Mm-hmm. Like maybe their business model only makes sense in that context, etc. But generally, you know, when something sells for hundreds of thousands and only costs tens to make, you could see an argument that like, okay, throw in an extra 10 or 20 and you could actually pay people fairly to do it. And then also when it comes to outsourcing, there's this whole wider issue of like, mm. okay, on the one hand, maybe it's like, it, it sounds ridiculous on an international scale. Maybe those aren't crazy hours locally. Mm-hmm. I think really though, when someone uses a sweatshop, it is the kind of like, you know, you're, you're getting children to work excessive hours sort of a vibe rather than fair local labor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pejorative term. Another couple of examples, uh, just to really hammer home the point. So on the necessity point, you've got battery farm chickens or battery farmed animals in general. And this yep. is something we talked about, particularly in our episode yep. on vegetarianism and veganism. Yeah, we'll I mean, if you, if you come back to that again, like meat is one of those gray area ones where like maybe it is a luxury good. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's expensive, you know, it's not necessary. You can survive without it, but it's a gray area because like, I think there's a decent amount of people who any reasonable salary earning outside of like literal poverty, if you're not conscientiously vegetarian or vegan, you will probably consume some meat, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but yes, like the, the point is, it's not a necessary thing to consume and it has a harmful supply chain, particularly when you want to produce it either mm-hmm. cheaply or sometimes very expensively, it depends. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of problems in the supply chain beyond the sort of suffering of animals, which mm-hmm. is the most obvious one to draw. Fur, you. another one, same problem. Yeah, yeah. And actually, again, this And then fur is the, the sort of flip side. Fur is the luxury example of that, right? Yeah. yeah. Fur is the one that's actually even more poignant than meat in general, which is why more and more people ban fur before we're talking about banning meat. It's just so unnecessary for animals to suffer for us to wear expensive coats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas the argument that like, oh, you you know, someone needs to eat meat, that's that gray area. Yeah, people have identified that. And uh, yeah, battery chickens or battery farming in general has other problems such as like 
you know, the virus is slipping out of the industrial meat complex. Yep. And, yeah, um, yeah, antibiotics, uh, all that. Antibiotics, exactly. Mainly it's about the suffering of animals. And we've already, uh, the fur is actually a perfect sort of uh, contrast to that because people have said, you know, uh, yeah. we don't need it. It's, those it's are not the necessary. Two, when we're talking about those two luxury items, like... They contrast perfectly. Yeah, that's it, actually. Like, like meat is a good example of, like, it's not strictly necessary, but there's kind of like a gray area argument. And so, like, some of it, for example... I could see an argument that like beef is like tipping into the unnecessary immoral mm. considering the, the impact, on, impact climate. on climate versus, for example, chicken. Whereas for like, you know, then we're veering into the conspicuous consumption. Like you are making yeah. animals suffer just for the point of conveying status, which we would agree is like a lesser need than consumption of meat. It's, it's worth clarifying here. We're not apologizing for battery production. Like, I think both of us completely agree and have said in other episodes, that's something in an ideal world that you'd absolutely crack down on and mm. you'd have systems for producing meat that are fairer to the animals involved and, and mm-hmm. a, a less risk to sort of human society etc but we we use that it's a clear distinction it's a, it's a clear distinction yep and then the other one is blood diamonds so okay. diamonds that kind of find their way into the market outside of regulated or official ways and and, and the kind of conflict and warfare that that kind if of you've seen causes. the movie you'll yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah for sure and blood diamonds are interesting because we've now hit a point where lab-grown diamonds can to all appearances look exactly as good as the real thing yep and, and much che- cheaper cheaper to produce and and at no risk of um yeah yep. the, the sort of conflicts involved yep um but overall i mean jake when you consider all these things how much of that burden do we put on consumers that's the, the challenge with all these things um and I, we, we've talked about this in previous episodes before in an ideal world the way a healthy market we believe should function is that practices like this would be regulated out of existence at the production level yeah. such that consumers or, aren't having to make a sort of choice of like yeah. do you know what i'm gonna opt for the much more expensive meat because yeah the cheap meat is clearly violating yeah. moral sort of things that yeah. i believe in i guess the alternative but it effectively means the same thing is that like you just would internalize externalities right mm. so for example if beef is causing lots of co2 emissions we should tax it more we should tax it more and use the taxes to address those co2 emissions yeah yeah and you, um, could, you could tax the sort of it would completely undermine the model but if you could tax battery farmed meat effectively i mean how, the problem is how do you price that yeah. it's even harder than pricing carbon mm-hmm. and then you know how do you alleviate it mm. but yeah i mean in effect you could basically price it to the extent where like it becomes either impractical or diminishes the use and etc but yeah um, the risk on the diamond side is if you tax it it just drives the price up it's an even greater luxury now exactly um but yeah sorry so there's briefly immorality in production but as we said necessary goods have this too it's just the fact that they're necessary helps to counterbalance i mean mm-hmm. like classic classic moral argument a utilitarian one for sure necessity is a superseding argument versus uh, the cost of producing something um, absolutely it's, it's in the term necessary now here's the big one for today. yeah so that uh, was argument one now yeah. we need to look at argument two which, which is, is really the meat yeah this is ha, this is this is where we, yeah ha. this is where we wanted to go with this episode and this is looking at the opportunity cost of consumption yeah so we touched on this briefly at the end of last episode and we'll give that example of if you're buying a ten thousand pound purse you mm-hmm. know is there not an argument that you could buy a one thousand pound purse that functionally does everything you need, including looking good, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm not even saying it has to be a minimalist piece of junk <laughs> or, or not be attractive. But if you have that $10,000 item and you can get something very similar for 1000 and then you opt to donate, not even necessarily all of it, say you donate $8,000, right? You've saved $1,000, you've practically got everything except the brand, mm-hmm. and the world is a better place. Or flip it around, what if, and increasingly this is the case, what if there are brands who are like, hey, look, will produce these luxury goods so it still meets the um, necessity of communicating status. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that you bought something expensive, but 
we'll donate a crazy amount of our profits just to, you know, to supporting whatever causes. So it's ticking all the boxes. Like you're communicating wealth whilst it's doing good. Like mm. why would you not choose that product over the purely expensive one? Exactly. And I think in the definitions episode in part one, uh, this was kind of the point that we were driving at when we were talking about conspicuous consumption being distasteful. It's because of this quote unquote opportunity cost, i.e. what else you could have done with the money. Now, this argument was put forward very famously by utilitarian philosopher Peter Singer. I don't know if I've got the exact example, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with an example that makes the point. And I think he said something along these lines. Imagine you're walking along and you see a child drowning in a pond, but you're wearing expensive shoes. Mm. In the time it'll take you to take off your shoes to go in, the child will probably die. Mm. So you have a choice now between dive in to save the shoes at the... <laughs> save, save the child. Sorry. So, sorry, dive in to save the child <laughs> mm. <laughs> at, the, at the risk to damaging your expensive shoes. Or They're really nice suede. Really nice. Or, <laughs> or just walk on and, you know, the child dies, but hey, your yeah. shoes are still intact. You have to do that thing in cartoons where like you have your hand behind your back and you go... <laughs> like those eyes kind of looking around like, yeah. act like you saw nothing exactly the reason the sort of experiment is like the reason it's effective is because the answer seems obvious to basically anyone mm. you know, obviously 200 pound shoes however however expensive they are you dive in and save the child the child's yeah. life is obviously worth way more and Singer then takes this argument and extends it and says you know if you're willing to do away with your expensive shoes to save the child shouldn't you ought to be willing to give to charity in the same way or I mean well that that's the outcome but like the, the explicit step is if the shoes are 200, you're willing to give up 200 to save a life. So if there's a charity who can save a life in another far mm -hmm. off place in the world for 200, you should give to that charity by the exact same logic, right? Yeah. And now, this argument snowballs, right? Because yeah. doesn't he effectively say, actually, once you've met your basic needs and mm -hmm. nuanced definition around where you draw that line, mm -hmm. but you should be willing to give away anything surplus to yeah. effective charities who can do good in the world and to yeah. help other people meet their basic needs. Basically, the world is full of suffering as long as your life is okay, you should be willing to give up to the point that your your life is starting to look kind of crap too. Mm -hmm. Because there are people who are suffering that immensely and just access to some cash would mm. change their life so much. Now, I think there are some, there's some like criticisms you can put on this that I think are perhaps unrealistic. So one embedded assumption from what we said there, which doesn't necessarily change the, the overall point, mm. but it, a kind of assumption is that you're valuing everyone's utility the same, sure. which I think practically is not true As i think your own utility is more valuable to you than other yes, people's yeah, right yeah. whether that should morally be the case that's up for discussion but i think practically like it's just not a fair description of humans and then the other thing is also proximity proximity matters right so the utility of people closer to you clearly matters more than yes. people that you've never met far away on the other side of the planet yeah so i mean these are arguments you can make but whether i think you should yeah but i think that and and i kind of get them it's why i don't like literally just follow what peter singer says and clearly don't value literally anyone on the planet's utility the same mm -hmm. Uh, another thing is family, friends, things like mm. that, right? You clearly value those differently. It's not just proximity as in like, are they literally close to me? The point there is simply that like, you know, there are perhaps some holes you can make in the argument, but I think most reasonable people can kind of hear this argument and, you know, maybe you might be like, hey, I shouldn't give to the point of having nothing. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of hard to, to to not hear that and be like, I probably should give more. Or the next time that you're making a luxury purchase to at least not think like, do I really need this thing? Could I just give this money to, you know, mosquito nets or vaccinations or deworming pills or something that will probably help a lot of people yeah which is a good time to shout out effective altruism because that's a uh, mm. yeah that's a uh, i don't know what you describe it as a, an organization i guess a campaign um, a movement kind of yeah i mean a movement it, it's uh will mccaskill's I think, is he not professor i don't know he is, yeah. but um it was kind of their initial thing where they're like oh like it links to peter singer because it's kind of the follow-on is that like if you have this vehicle of giving money to save lives 
actually some the most moral thing you can do is rather than working an NGO, make as much money as possible to then give to these things. And as long as you're not yeah. detracting tons of value from the world and, yeah. and the person's making that money. Um, <laughs> and which then is, how I mean, do you know which ones are the most effective to give to? So they, yeah, they have yeah, a yeah. process of ranking charities and, and measuring their impact in different ways so that yep. you know that you're you're not giving money away wastefully. You're giving because yep. that would be that would also undermine the point, right? Yep. And also another one I really like. Give well, one of the most effective charities in the world. They just give money to people in need. Lots of evidence that it's the most effective way to help them whilst also respecting their autonomy, etc. Anyway, coming back to this point about Peter Singer. There's a nice quote from him which says, I make a simple argument that challenges people to justify spending money on luxuries when that money could be used to save lives. And that's, that links I mean, really nicely to the question and it emphasizes yeah, the point really It well. emphasizes the point. When you're buying luxury goods, there's an opportunity cost. You have avenues to give to save lives. He doesn't exclusively apply this to luxuries either, but it's especially relevant in the same way that we were talking about the uh, immorality of production of things it's especially relevant when you know your expenses are are high such that you're buying luxuries and the thing that you're buying is not necessary yeah right Uh, like the extremist neophyte of utilitarianism might argue something to the extent of like listen there are people who you know can't drink water so you know, that I am eating anything other than beans, bread, and you know, whatever is like the, the bare minimum to survive is unfair. If you were truly, to the most extreme extent, adhering to this kind of, you know, all human utility is equal thing. But most people don't apply it to that extent, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, however you see it, however you want to chop that, you know, the proximity arguments we made, etc. There's a fundamental thing when you get to the luxuries. It's like, I don't need this and I could save people's lives. So that's Peter Singer, quite concisely explained. This is really the sort of philosophical idea underpinning the, the purpose of the question. Um, Let's look at some rebuttals. Okay, and this is really where we come back to that conception of necessity, what it mm. is to be human, etc. First of all, the most obvious pairing against that a lot of people use in particular is this this argument, or, or it stems from an essay by... Um, Susan Wolf. Susan Wolf on moral saints. And it basically talks about what would it actually be like to be a moral saint? What might it take away from the human experience, right? And yeah. to kind of capture her point in a nutshell, she basically says, when you think about moral saints, you actually don't think about particularly happy people, happy lives. Hmm. And you also might actually even say that, like, if you're taking a kind of ancient Greek perspective and you're talking about the quote-unquote good life, you may not describe what they're living as the good life, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you think about the, the, the context of moral saints, you know, moral saints would be people who are constantly making every decision in the context of, like, what is the moral thing to do, mm-hmm. would constantly be making sacrifices to that effect. And ultimately, some of the conclusions she comes to is that these people would be humorless because, first yeah, of all, that's humor, quite a funny example. Yeah, humor and entertainment is, is frivolous. And yeah. also a lot of humor is at someone's expense. Exactly. Right. So it's, you know, morally better to just be like kind of ambivalent and bland. Lots of pursuits that we, you know, inherently, deeply might feel are like important to the human experience are morally arbitrary. Right. Mm, so like showing skills. Yeah. So, so, I mean. You might say, for example, there is some argument around like the aesthetic quality or, or like what you're the impact you're having on other people. It's funny how when you look at masterpieces, you can say that. But in individual cases, it's very hard to ever justify pursuing art, mm-hmm. for example. You know, I said entertainment, art's another example, literature, drawing in some context where that would win out over a moral thing. Yeah, right? and, and like, like, should you, you ever... apply that to Peter Singer, right? This exactly. Thing, like, why would you put any time or money into producing art when you could be saving lives? When you could be volunteering or saving yeah. lives, exactly. And then it's, some, you know, it, it's funny because like on the case by case, that seems like fair morally. It's hard to... But then when you imagine that world where art effectively doesn't exist, entertainment mm-hmm. effectively doesn't ex- exist... It's one of those things where if you universalize it, you know, hey, it's it's great that Mother Teresa and Gandhi did exist, but should everyone be like them? Not just is there space, but does the world actually need 
the mm. people who give you more to live than simply making sure everyone has that bottom base of Maslow's hierarchy. Maybe there's more to the human experience than that. Maybe it's important to go higher up the pyramid, exactly. And yeah. there's something weirdly refreshing about reading Wolf, because I think... The point she makes at the beginning is while you start thinking about like what it is to be good, you can very easily put pressure on yourself to be at some level. It's like, okay, I'm not a bad person. I don't go around killing people. (laughs) You know, I don't steal. Um, But when you think about what it is to be good and you you sort of put that pressure on yourself, like, you know, how do I make every action as good as possible? She kind of comes at it and says, you know what, if you actually make the argument, if you extend it to its logical extreme, life becomes really boring. Not necessarily every action is a moral action. To some extent, there's just more to Actually, life than this. She goes beyond that, mm-hmm. I would say. And she kind of makes the extent, she kind of makes the argument in the essay, sorry, I don't have the exact quote that, that says this, but she kind of makes the argument of, um, you might have heard people say like, don't turn your hobbies into your job or something mm-hmm. like that. And she kind of makes the point where like, okay, maybe there's some conception of morality that can encompass this mm-hmm. human need for these generally amoral activities that, you know, contribute a lot to the human experience, like literature, art, etc. right? Mm-hmm. But then anytime you try to do that, at some level, you turn these things into imperatives. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the moral equivalent of this kind of neoliberal capitalist perspective that we should always be productive. And even the rest should only be, you know, in the service of being productive later, mm. right? There's an extent to which that's a helpful way of seeing the world. And there's another extent to which it totally degrades the quality of the thing that you're trying to do, right? You know what? Sometimes I just want to enjoy myself. Sometimes I just want to enjoy a book. I don't need to every single book be kind of having that meta level of thought, like, is, is this, this good for me? Yeah, is this yeah. is this good for me? Is this morally enriching? And she kind of makes that argument too. I'm torn on this, right? Because on the one hand, Singer's argument is super appealing. Mm-hmm. On the other, you kind of read hers and it almost comes across as immaturely permission to disagree with Singer. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? exactly it's, um, how it reads. It's, I, it's, I agree. I don't necessarily mean that to say that she's right, but my, my deep sense is that there's something there. Both of them, mm. maybe, like like we're saying, there's there's attacks on singers, there's attacks that you can make on this, but both of them have a nugget of truth, right? I think so. The life that you live should not be viewed purely through a moral lens, mm-hmm. right? And similarly, you know, you shouldn't be, live around, walk around completely uncognizant of the ability that you have mm-hmm. to benefit other people. And the reason that this all comes back to luxury goods is because I actually feel like luxury goods, the conspicuous spending luxury goods are a really convenient category to be like, you know what? I think this satisfies both. Mm. Like I am not saying that I can't live a life that is enjoying something beyond the moral and moral weighing up of every bloody thing I do. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not saying that suddenly a really nice analogy from Cliff Mark. He actually has a good episode on this. Good the theory, good theory podcast. podcast. We did a crossover with him. Cool guy. We did episode um, 24. Check it out. You know, you know, when I'm watching a movie, do I need to be thinking like, is this movie representative enough? Is it approaching moral points worth approaching? Like at some some point, sometimes I just want to watch a movie. Sometimes <laughs> I want to watch an Adam Sandler movie and just relax and enjoy it, right? <laughs> I love that an Adam Sandler movie is like the staple of a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's completely devoid of moral value. <laughs> it comes from the Netflix example where they, yeah. um, sorry, this is the tangent, but it's funny. Netflix um, were trying to figure out how to do their ratings algorithm. And they were like, we have an interesting problem here because- Schindler's List is consistently the highest rated movie on the platform. It's like five star. No one gives it less than five star or yeah. very rarely do. But <laughs> For not, fear that anyone finds out. Yeah, but not very many people watch Schindler's List. And you compare that to Adam Sandler. which you watch it in a different way. Which gets like Adam Sandler movies were averaging like three star or less. But people just kept coming back to watch them again and again. And they're like, something is missing here because the, the review system doesn't capture the fact that Schindler's List is an aspirational movie and people rate it highly, but you, you, you don't enjoy it in the same way as the Adam Sandler movies that you give an example of where mm-hmm. actually you kind of want trash TV sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you kind of want something that's just easy watching. And then eventually they weighted the algorithm accordingly to be like, to, to, to capture both effects. 
Sorry, tangent there. No, no, no. But your point, point. your point, your point—that is exactly it. Sometimes yeah. part of being human is just wanting to enjoy, like a, some simple pleasure. So, if I were to kind of synthesize the two, I think you could treat this question a little bit as like, where do you draw the line in terms of what proportion of your your actions should you make moral? And Singer sets like he gives one example. Sets a very high like, bar. The more the bar is very high. It's basically like you anytime do, you spend anything, you don't need to spend. Exactly. Right. And then Wolf kind of flips it and says, "Do you know what? If you did that." life would be really, really boring. And, yeah. and it almost feels like she gives you permission to go the other way and say, you know, actually, it, there's no point trying to make everything moral at all. Yeah. And it feels like, I think the fact that you said there's nuggets of truth in both speaks to me to the fact that the line is somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the reason I find luxury goods so interesting is it's because as with many line drawing arguments, can I say exactly where to draw the line? It's hard. It depends. It context, etc. But you can't but, tell where it's like definitely yeah, wrong. Yeah. And one of those points is luxury goods where the sole purpose is status, conspicuous mm-hmm. spending, etc. Coming back to it, you know, when we're talking about cars, I'm not talking about the car that has AC and radio mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe some features like self-parking or it's automatic, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking the, pure, super the supercar. I'm talking the watch that is 10,000 plus, mm-hmm. you know, when, when my phone tells the time. And mm-hmm. I, could, I could even get a very nice looking watch that's like a thousand pounds or 2,000 pounds, right? That's mm-hmm. still, arguably, that's still a luxury. But then, you know, you get to the point where it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? And that feels like the point where it's like, you know what? For most people, it's not a concern, mostly for lack of means. Mm-hmm. But I feel like for many people, to buy those goods is to communicate the fact that you perhaps haven't thought deeply enough about the, the conflict between these two needs. Mm-hmm. Like on the one hand, you know what? Yes, we're human. Yes, part of being human is is sometimes, first of all, to enjoy things and not turn everything to a moral question. And secondly, you know, conveying social messages through what we're, we're wearing or doing is is part of the human experience and to remove all of that you know we all have to wear burlap sacks because anything <laughs> else is is excessive right and there are people who can't eat it suddenly is undermining really the, yeah. the lived human experience to an extent that might be more awful than the fact that some people are basically everyone lives in big brother but yeah it, to me it says like when people are buying these conspicuous spending goods perhaps they haven't thought enough about this conflict between these two moral needs that we have exactly now before we wrap up there's one other perspective that we should definitely bring in i don't know that this is necessarily linked to any particular philosopher and i don't even know really what to call it so we'll just for the sake of this we'll call it the capitalist argument yeah and this might be your initial reaction listeners when you first heard this question are luxury goods immoral because we've asked enough people and we've said what do you think about this Mm. and i think actually a lot of people do kind of default to no of course not why does it matter a great way of encapsulating this would be the quote if you earned your money fairly, you can spend it on whatever you want. Yeah. It's a free capitalist society. Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, a lot of people, I remember I saw someone post on LinkedIn and said this, you know, it was like, oh, Bezos bought like a half billion pound yacht or mm-hmm. whatever, like how ridiculous. And then someone else argued, well, think about all the people who worked on that yacht. Think about all the people whose families were fed by the, them working on that yacht. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, think about blah, blah, blah. And then basically saying like the point of capitalism is that like we don't judge what people spend as long as they acquire their money fairly. And people are generally doing value productive things. You know, everyone, the only thing that we should regulate out of existence is people not taking more value than they're putting out as part of their business. Yeah, but um, you can't regulate for bad taste. Yeah, but you can't. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because there is a really peeling argument around that, I would say for sure. But ooh, how do I articulate I, this? I, I, well, for you my go first. part, I think this is a slightly lazy perspective. Yeah. Because I think it's an easy way to make excuses for not thinking about the opportunity cost argument. And and it appeals to the the social context in which we live, where actually a lot of these goods are positioned as quite aspirational. So yep. in the way that you described in the first episode, people look at Rolexes and while to me and you, we might think that's a bit distasteful. It's flashy. It's showy. You mm. could have done something better. There's a lot of people who probably like, 
man, that's cool. Like, yeah, yeah. like that's where I want to be. That's where I want to yeah, get yeah. to. Or you live or operate that's in a true. context where loads of people wear these kind of things and you have to keep up with the... Uh, yep. And to be fair, peers. to be fair, I think also we have to be fair that like, we have to think about our own context, right? Yeah. So we grew up in context, I mean, for anyone who hasn't picked it up so far, where we were like comfortable growing up mm -hmm. and then went to a relatively intellectual university with a lot of people who had money, perhaps kind of in that comfort of wealth where like there wasn't much need to convey wealth, right? Mm. Like everyone was comfortable. Maybe you had some people in the ridiculous end and even then like, you know, to, to act like you're rich at Oxford, you know, you're with some of the richest people in the world. So mm. that's like another level. <laughs> um, but so, so I'm just saying like, okay, maybe we're approaching this from our own like privilege where we haven't had the context where like it really was an effective symbol and yeah. it wasn't considered distasteful. So maybe we're being a little bit unfair. I do think that like, it's like we said, like, you know, maybe if you had some deeper thought considered, for example, Singer and then considered Moral Saints on the other side, Susan Wolf, maybe you would come to some conclusion that's more similar to us, but maybe you've not been in a context where that's an obvious thing to do. Maybe you didn't study philosophy having come through a middle-class life and a, and a <laughs> private school. And so maybe you end up at a different point. But sorry, back to the libertarian economic one or capitalist one. I do think though, it's one of those ones where it's like, it's a difference between like a rule or a heuristic for society and a case by case, right? Because mm. as a rule for society, it's hard to argue against. On a case by case, it seems obvious. Like if you ask me, would I rather, or do I think it's morally better that Bezos donated half a billion or bought himself a yacht, but I acknowledge that the yacht does have positive effects through like economic production. It seems obvious that like, you know, it's better for all humanity if he donated that to like give well or, or, or some other charity mm. where like they could effect effectively alleviate, you know, do I think it's better that Bill Gates does the, uh, the Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation versus, you know, making super yachts for himself. Like, you know, of the two, obviously, I, I think one of them is doing quote unquote, like more moral good whilst even still being extremely wealthy. And I think also it's, it's even if it's creating an economic value chain, it's such an excessive use of the money mm. that it becomes a little bit gross. It's, it really, it comes back to the argument we made in the first episode, should billionaires exist, which maybe we should revisit, revisit at some point. It's been a while. Mm. Where like part of the problem with it is just how tone deaf it is in a context where some people can't eat. It's why the opportunity cost matters. It's why that's the most important argument that we've made in this episode. And it's, it's exactly that. In a world of immense inequality and, and literal poverty, to spend money in, in a sort of flashy way that shows off your wealth even if, even if it's economically productive, yeah. I mean, think about who it's economically productive to. It's not to the people who are worst off. No. It's to people who service people who have super yachts. It's yeah. to yacht brokers and engineers. <laughs> I think that's okay. it. I think it's, it's so. Insane. What if what if Bezos paid one and a half billion to build it in a developing country where they trained people? Hmm. It would be better. It would be better. But it's still the ultimate. I mean, what's the purpose of the yacht, right? I mean, if he if he wanted to make the people in the developing countries better off, he could just have <laughs> donated the money. So That's the true. And then, like, what they're going to keep? I, I guess part of the problem there is sustainability. Like, they have to keep making super yachts for like the five <laughs> richest people in the world. To be um, fair, once he's bought his, there you could imagine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the orders come flying in. Yeah. But um, that's it. it. The opportunity cost is is the is the best way of, of summarizing that. So, I mean, we've kind of kind of given our conclusions here at this point but mm -hmm. and how would you summarize your answer to are luxury goods immoral i guess at a high level yes mm -hmm. but a la susan wolf and moral saints like there's different classes and we'd highlighted those two types of luxury goods one i think it's it's clear like it is immoral like it is wasteful 
It's resources that would be better spent. And even if you want status, communicate status. Nowadays, you know, arguably it communicates more status to do good and be a philanthropist mm, yeah. <laughs> than it does to waste money on things. It would be a better world if that was... Uh, if yeah, that more was of a status the, symbol. Yeah, exactly. But I do acknowledge that there's that gray area where like some things are expensive but good value and they are like quote unquote a luxury good. As in like literally if you had less money, you'd buy less of it. They're sort of um, luxurious necessities though. Yeah, they? but they're kind of, they're, they're kind of that blend in between, right? Yeah, mm. like buying bread that's not necessarily the cheapest bread in the shop but mm-hmm. it's still bread mm. buying a car that like okay it has an ac and and it's an automatic but like it's a car and i need to get around and it's not a crazy expense more and then there's especially when you start to consider that economic argument we had around like okay as long as my money is not ill-gotten mm-hmm. and by the way sorry another thing from the billionaire argument like any system where you can acquire a ridiculous amount of wealth you can start to say like okay if we're looking at the outcomes and understanding the distribution is an important part of how fair Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. processes as in like you could work backwards and say if there is a ridiculous distribution something's wrong with our process probably it's yeah it's the um, system then you might say it's not fair and also you know a part of fair transactions is assuming that there's fair acquisition of cash in the first place which you know there's no starting point to history where we're like okay it's zero for everyone and go <laughs> it's you the beginning of the game of monopoly yeah exactly there is no beginning to the game so that's another problem that we need to consider and, and laws aren't perfect so fair as in legal is not the same thing mm. but yeah overall i'd say it's hard to draw the line for some of those luxury goods, but in that first category I gave, second category, it seems clear. I have the internal conflict of Moral Saints and Peter Singer. I want to do more. I try and give as much as I can, but I also need to like live a life I think is worth living. And I happen to not be one of those moral saints who like has that really, really strong internal drive to dedicate my life to just giving away everything. For me, drawing a line around that category of goods seems obvious, but you know, it's somewhere with the other category as well. Like there's some line, but it's harder to draw. Mm. Uh, what's your t- oh and the libertarian capitalist not a huge fan of that argument it feels like an even lazier way than the moral saints argument for justifying doing what you want to do <laughs> yeah i mean my takeaway would be to all the people who whose intuitive answer is hey it's capitalism people have preferences you can buy what you want of course they're not immoral it doesn't matter i hope that this episode has given you food for thought there in in respect to the fact that there is an opportunity cost to every purchase you make and i think what's interesting is in previous episodes i've never been a fan of resolutions where the burden falls on consumers. This is a rare case where I think, you know what, if you're buying excessive luxury goods, that is a consumer decision where the opportunity cost is much clearer, where actually you should be more considered about the purchases you make. I think just like you, I feel a similar tension between the singer argument and the moral saints argument because, and and I think for me, that's just like how far up the pyramid do you draw the line? I think there's obviously- Pyramid being Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, exactly. I mean, there's physiological and security are like your two basics for survival. You've got love and belonging, you've got self-esteem. And I think there's value in all of these things. I think to draw the line too far below that, misses the essence Point of the of human, human experience right yeah. like what, what is it to be human if we in a so world where we, surviving exactly in a world where we didn't have art in a world where we didn't have entertainment life would be a lot less it's you know you can read peter singer and think okay we should give up these things for the sake of making sure everyone else has like the basics of like water and and, fi- and meet their financial needs but then the outcome is a, a world that's quite boring for everyone it's still but, better for the people who are yeah, obviously yeah, suffering but like to be more specific than boring like we're talking we're talking like big brother style yeah right? like yeah like, uh, to be fair there's not, not necessarily an authoritarian power but that maybe that authoritarian power is a doctrine rather mm. than force yes okay more people get to survive but life also at the best part becomes not really worth living 
Yeah, or certainly less that fulfilling. Harsh, but you know what I mean. Less fulfilling. And I, I think Wolf is quite refreshing as a perspective that says, actually, you know what? Mm. You don't need to be like moral all the time. Not everything mm. has a moral quality. Uh, yep. and, and I think a lot of people kind of feel that about sort of consumption, mm. but I don't know that they necessarily yep. should. I think there is a line. I'm not sure where to draw it, yep. but I think there are things that we can obviously look at and say, to me, that's distasteful. That's and they're wasteful. conspicuous spending luxury. Conspicuous okay, consumption. Yeah, you could do yep. you could do better things with that. And I think I wouldn't, as a point of self-esteem on the pyramid, I don't know that I'd ever want to be the kind of person who... who drives self-esteem from those yeah yeah hold me Question. to account if we ever become hugely yeah. successful likewise I, had, I once had a windfall of cash and i was like maybe i'll buy a nice watch my dad told me off <laughs> and i was like this is I'm, I'm lucky to well this is what i was saying about privilege and context earlier right like maybe i am in happen to be in a social context where that is reinforced to me which you know good save me from wasting a bunch of money next one thought just a, a method of resolving that moral saints and peter singer argument go on what if the question is about optimizing over the right time frame Right. What if the like the understanding that humans have like fallibility and needs that are not just moral, actually the best way to optimize moral outcomes in the mid to long term is to allow people enough freedom to also just enjoy themselves because a society where people all they do is optimize utility in the short term becomes a painful one to live in. Why does the time frame matter? Just because well, what, what I'm saying is and like I think what that Susan Wolf kind of addressed this point like you can't include these non-moral things in your moral framework but I mean if, if you kind of don't value them morally but acknowledge that humans need to have you know enjoyable lives mm. it's kind of the argument that like this is a bit of a twist of it but it's a bit like Oh, like if my aim is to save lives by giving cash away, if I actually don't give all of it away mm. such that I can build an enjoyable life and build up wealth, mm -hmm. then I could actually give away more later. I see. It's a bit like effective altruism, right? It's the 80s. Kind of, hours, kind, hours of kind of, to an extent. Like, it, I mean, if you think about Singer's thing, in a way, hey, is Bill Gates super rich? Yes. Has Bill Gates actually, from a utilitarian perspective, done way more good than the person who has given away half their salary for their whole life? Yes. Because that's also how they managed to build a life where they had much more to give away. Um, mm -hmm. And then you could also think about, don't just think about it in terms of cash. Think about it as in like your moral, internal motivation and resource. Right? Well, Bill like, Gates built up prestige and reputation as well, right? Mm -hmm. Which allows his decisions to have more impact. Exactly. I don't know if that's what you meant, but just well, that, my, my, said, my point is just that it's similar, but my, my point is just like, you know, if Susan Wolf is saying like, this stuff creates boring, pointless lives. <laughs> what if our understanding is that like, look, we need to make life worth living, which means that the best way for people to do the most good in the midterm is to actually consider morality and think morally, but like give themselves enough space to enjoy life so that they're not switched off from this whole, like, I should do good, which actually isn't really her point. It's, the, it's, a, it's a way of justifying the, the two and finding yourself somewhere in the middle. Right? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But yeah, this reminds me of a, a really interesting discussion with one of my mates, um, mm. Will Davison, about this. And, and he was saying, like, when you sort of think about your life, it's actually exactly this kind of framework. He's like, we tend to think very short term, but if you were to think on a long term, you could look at your life as like, you know, everything up to your sort of 20s and even 30s is a time to sort of train up and build skills. Yeah. And if you're giving away everything at this point, you know, you, you, that's a time to invest in yourself because that will permit you in the sort of longer term to, have to more do impact. more good and more yep. impact. And he was saying, he was so like, if you're giving away all your income at this point, yeah, 
you, you actually don't ever could. build up the savings yep. and the, the it's kind using of using money as the metric but using money as the metric but I'm, yeah. I'm talking more willpower same yeah. thing like you know am i going to depress myself by like depriving myself of human joy mm. like actually in the mid to long term maybe that means i can do less because i'm just not bloody motivated anymore exactly the question and we were asking was was like at what point in your life does that sort of balance switch because we were saying for now it feels like in your 20s and probably 30s that's the time where you want to be investing in yourself and building up your own kind of I don't know, social capital and 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 like and also capital literal and, capital yeah <laughs> exactly but at some point perhaps in your 30s even and even 40s, to the midterm game uh, yeah. goal of giving it away when you have more sort of influence and, and ability you can you can be more effective in the way that you give back interesting question and i think yeah one that different people will have different sort of answers to when they decide to do that cool awesome probably not a bad time to wrap up the episode no. guys final reminder please do share with friends and family leave a review send us a message and if you do want to support us for as little as a dollar a month, Patreon does mean that we're able to actually, you know, continue producing this stuff and put out two to three episodes a month. So yeah, yeah please yeah. do. And also we will prioritize chatting to the people who send us messages through that platform. Yep. Yep. We really appreciate it, yep. guys. And Thank you'll also you get a personal shout out. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for all your support. And we'll be back soon with more episodes. And actually very soon we'll be back with a, well, not back. We'll be, we'll be releasing a TikTok. Oh, Whoa. God. Yeah. Well, we'll let you know when that's out. But, yeah. you know, hashtag growth strategy. Speak <laughs> soon, everyone. Cheers, guys. Bye.